um, as well as on an emotional level. I mean, for example, progesterone is kind of the anti-anxiety hormone. So it makes us feel calm and relaxed and happy. And so if we have low progesterone levels, then we're going to most likely experience um, more emotional mood swings and heightened anxiety, um, insomnia, trouble sleeping. Um, so it's really like if your hormones are low or out of balance, it affects all aspects of your, of your life, both emotionally and physically. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you'll see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure to have you here today. And we have a fun episode, educational too, for you. My dear friend Hannah from the Instagram Holistically Hannah is a registered holistic nutritionist from Vancouver, BC, and she breaks down all things hormone health plus practical lifestyle tips to amplify and improve your hormone health and gut health. Uh, There's a lot in this episode, a lot of good stuff, and so I'm excited for you all to listen. But I also wanted to include a disclaimer because I see this happen a lot in the space that I'm in, which is on Instagram, in the world of influencing and content creation, where there's a lot of health and wellness stuff thrown around, and it's not always given the proper disclaimer or the proper evidence behind it, and you know what, I'm just going to start explaining why I'm doing this disclaimer. You know what? So when it comes to hormone health, I've had a long journey with it. When I didn't get my first period until I was 17, even then I only had it for three months and then it went away, which triggered major alarm bells in my mind because I'm now 20 and I've yet to have any period, menstrual cycle, whatever the correct terminology is, except for those three months in my life major red flag. Everybody, like, that is a major red flag. So if you're also in a similar boat, or not even something that bad, like, not good, people. Not good for anyone's health. (laughs) Well, a female's health, I suppose. Anywho, so for a long time, I tried to fix my hormones on my own. I did everything that the internet said. I tried to focus on sleep and proper hydration and low-impact workouts, and, you know, it kind of worked but not really considering my period never came back. I tried all the superfoods and the maca and the reishi and all the add-ins and the supplements and I probably spent so much money that I can't even think about it without wanting to curl into a ball. I'm sure you can all relate, whether it's for hormone health or any health trend, fad, advice. Like I spent so much money and time and energy trying to fix my hormones on my own and alas here I am at 20 and a half years old and I'm still struggling real hard people so finally in my journey I decided to get actual professional health Uh, she is still a functional kind of holistic viewpoint so I didn't go the traditional conventional western med route but I just want to put in here that if you choose that that is a-okay folks okay Holistic health is great and amazing and I love it, but I will never tell you to not go the traditional route of medicine, Western. Like, you do what's financially able for you, what feels right for you, and just whatever's going to make you happy and healthy in life, okay? So, no judgment there. But anyway, I did want to touch on this because I think it's a big part of health and wellness that isn't discussed enough, right? So, there's all these supplements and add-ins and superfoods that they say you can do for optimal hormone health and granted they do they can help your hormones i'm sure of it i've had you know professionals say it but the important thing to remember is that before you do those things there's a lot of lifestyle shit that you need to figure out before they could even help you right so let's let's break this down for a second so for instance i had a big like maca reishi like the adaptogen trend Well, the thing is, if you're not making the simple lifestyle changes first, 
they won't do any good. Adaptogens will not adapt to heal and even out your hormone levels if you're sleep deprived or overstressed or dehydrated because those issues will take full control. So you can't heal your hormones without making lifestyle changes too. And I think sometimes instead of making these lifestyle changes that can oftentimes be harder for us to implement, we just want a pill or a superfood or an adaptogen to fix us, right? I am literally the same way. Like when I started working with this woman I'm working with, Chloe, to heal my hormones, I was the type like at first, I was just so excited to get like a supplement or whatever I could to fix my hormones. And eventually like it just hit me of like, wait, okay, I actually have to manage my stress and I need to prioritize low impact workouts. I need to prioritize sleep. And it just hit me like, okay, I've got to do the lifestyle stuff that is all free if I want anything else to help my hormones too. So I want you to remember that while listening today, that you can take responsibility for your health by prioritizing those basic pillars of health and then dabble in whatever extra forms of wellness, quote unquote, you'd like to. So prioritize lifestyle and then add in maca or reishi or whatever adaptogen or thing that you want to add in. I'm not going to tell you to not do that. But I'm also, I don't want me or Hannah or this episode to make you feel like you have to add in those things or collagen, like whatever it is. Don't feel pressured to add something into your diet or your routine, especially if you can't even take time or energy to prioritize lifestyle changes first. So just remember that, okay? Okay. Now, I did want to explain also, Hannah begins by explaining a bit about her education As I said, she's a registered holistic nutritionist. This program is not offered in the U.S., I believe. And so that's what's so unique is that with Hannah's education, it is a truly holistic approach. And so it teaches not only about physical health, but the emotional and mental too. It's focused on 360 health, which you guys know I am all about. And so the main topics that we decided to discuss in today's episode since they're Hannah's favorite, are hormones, gut health, and some emotional health too. Because as you'll realize, they all correlate, they all relate to one another. For hormone health, I really wanted this episode to be comprehensible for all levels and easy to understand. So Hannah breaks it down because let's be honest, I grew up in a small town. My health education is comical. Like even as a health and wellness person in the space, My actual education of this type of stuff is so sad. It's almost funny, but it's not. So I really had Hannah break it down easy for me and obviously for you guys too. So So she begins by breaking down the main hormones in the body, how they work, what they are, and what they do for us. And in this, we discuss what happens when they're out of balance, how to identify that, and then how to remedy that as best as you can. I also asked for Hannah's opinion on birth control and she explains what it actually does in the body and shares her experience getting off of it actually to help heal her hormones. I know this can be a controversial topic so just listen with an open mind. The two books that we do suggest and talk about a bit also in this entire realm of hormone health is Woman Code by Elisa Vitti and the work of Dr. Jolene Brighton. I'll have them both linked below. Excellent ladies, if they ever want to come on the podcast someday, hit me up because they are genius. They are queens in hormone health and there's so much to learn from them. So then some of the remedies we do discuss in the entire realm of hormone health are lifestyle focused and then also beyond that. So if you're prioritizing the basic pillars of lifestyle, as I mentioned before, sleep, hydration, stress management, low impact, Then there's also some extra things that Hannah and I discussed, such as seed cycling and some essential foods to include or handling stress and emotional health. And then as our last bit of convo, Hannah explains how the gut and the hormones are actually connected, plus her best advice for improving gut health, dealing with leaky gut, and just overall wholesome body goodness while not stressing about the entire process. Now, some of you may laugh at that last part, and I'm right there with you. It is so hard to not stress when you do anything related to health, but we do have a good conversation about balancing stress with balancing 
this health journey that many of us are on. So listen, relax, take in the information, but don't stress about what to do next or about your situation. This is meant to inform you so that you can be empowered in your health decisions. You don't have to rush off and do everything today. So if you'd like to learn more, follow along, or get in contact, Hannah is on Instagram at holisticallyhannah, and I'm at Emily Feichels or Let's Thrive Podcast. And remember, just like with YouTube, Instagram, or anything else, podcasts need support too. So if you really like the show, share it on your stories, tag us, leave a rate and review, subscribe. These are all ways you can help support the free content coming your way. I appreciate you all so much. And without further ado, here's Hannah. So to start off, could you just give like a little introduction into who you are and what it is you do, and then we'll jump into the background and all the fun stuff we have to discuss today. Yeah, so I'm Hannah, and I currently live in Vancouver, um, and I just finished my program at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, so I have just become a registered holistic nutritionist, Um, and then I also run my wellness blog and Instagram on the side, which is called Holistically Hannah, which kind of just started as um, a passion project a couple of years ago. I was pretty much just posting recipes. I started, I started the blog during a period of time where I was going through some really bad digestive issues um, and I had to follow a restrictive diet just to kind of help myself get through that. So I started the blog as a place to like share all these weird recipes that I was creating for myself because I didn't really have much of other options um, of food choices. But yeah, it's become so much more than that. I think... Um, yeah, I just found a lot of other passions outside of food as well. And so now I share all of my rituals and sort of holistic living um, that goes a lot more beyond food. And you have the most beautiful like eye for photography, for aesthetic. It's just one of my favorite feeds to follow because, I mean, not only because it looks good, but because your information is just so insightful and easy to digest and it's just the perfect little blend. So <laughs> I love it. Oh, that means the world. It's funny because I live in a bottom floor apartment, which has barely any light. And so the struggle to take food photography or just any sort of photos is really real. Like I spend so much time just waiting for that half an hour of light that I get every day in my apartment to take photos. So yeah, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. The dedication is appreciated. (laughs) So something I wanted to ask you about is that, you know, in Canada, you, you can go to school, you know, and to become a holistic nutritionist. And from what I've gathered, that's not possible in the US, right? Yeah, so I believe um, it's quite a unique program to Canada. I know that there's something called IIN, which is the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and that seems to be more like world renowned. But as far as becoming a registered holistic nutritionist, um, that designation is specific to the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. So that's something you can only really obtain in Canada. Um, And then as far as Um, like being accredited goes, the RHN title is like kind of the gold standard um, for Canada. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I've, you know, I did IIN in the past and then I kind of wasn't doing it. And, you know, so I'm just curious to hear how your experience was with the holistic actual education, you know, college, everything up there. So what would you say is like one of the you know, one major thing or a couple things that you learned in that more holistic nutrition realm that you think, you know, is probably lacking from the general nutrition that we, you know, we're used to. Yeah. So when I first became interested in nutrition back in high school, um, I was just finishing up grade 12 and I considered going into a dietetics program um, because I didn't really know that there was anything else out there. But as far as like conventional nutrition goes, it's a lot about looking at food as numbers. And so there's a really heavy emphasis on the calories and the macronutrients, so carbohydrates and protein and fat, um, and then vitamins and minerals, but there's not so much emphasis on um, how we're eating our food or all of the other aspects of ourselves as a holistic being. So our emotions and 
um, our digestion, our stress levels, like these are all things that are so important. And um, the way that our body is functioning and our emotional state can sometimes be even more important than what we're actually putting into our body. And so when I discovered the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, I just felt so called to study a more holistic um, route with food because I really resonated with everything that they were saying that um, being healthy is so, so much more than just these numbers that we often associate with what we're eating. Oh, I love that. And that's actually the reason. So people that listen to this will know I dropped out of college because I wasn't wasn't for me. The major wasn't what I wanted at the time. And, you know, part of me was like, well, I should just do, you know, become a registered dietitian or nutritionist because that's right up my alley. But, you know, I started looking into programs and I talked with a couple advisors and none of it was, it, it kind of sounds like just what, like what you were saying, where I was craving that more. I was already in the holistic realm at that point. And I was like, I don't know if I want to just, you know, <laughs> spend all this money and time to learn about, you know, like these numbers and things that I just, you know, I, I'd rather try to invest in something more holistic. And unfortunately I couldn't find anything really, but so I, you know, it's so nice to know that somewhere offers that at least, and that there's, you know, some of you out there that can have that schooling and take that knowledge out into the world. But, you know, with everything you've studied and learned, what would you say is like probably your favorite topic that you've learned about? Like the one that just really pulled you in and just, you know, grabbed your attention? Yeah, so I think there's really three big topics that I'm very passionate about, which I share a lot on Instagram. Um, and so that is gut health, and then hormones, um, and then also the emotional aspect. So for my personal journey, a lot of it has been um, really working with my stress and my anxiety and trying to find healthy coping mechanisms um, in order to navigate those emotions because I think that it's really hard to truly find health and wellness if we're just ignoring what's going on internally, um, which so often we do. We try to like fix all of our problems with eating the perfect foods or eating a quote unquote healthy diet. Um, and then we just kind of shove whatever is going on inside um, out of the way. And so I think just the emotional connection has been a huge topic of interest for me. So when it comes to the emotional side of things, have you found any you know rituals, routines, things that you do that help you accept, face, regulate your emotions in a uh, you know, better manner than just ignoring them like so many of us do? <laughs> Yeah, so I think acceptance has been one of the big ones um, and really facing what I'm feeling head on and just letting however that um, whatever's coming up be okay. Because I think that when we try to suppress emotions um, and uncomfortable feelings, it only makes things worse. So I, I find journaling to be very helpful. That kind of helps bring things up and shed light on whatever I'm going through. And it really just helps me work through um, any anything that's coming up. And then I also meditate every morning, which is one of the most amazing, profound changes I've ever made to my life. Um, and I think something that I would love to share with people is that meditation doesn't have to be this big, long thing. Um, I know that there is sometimes a lot of like stigma around it, and it can kind of seem a little bit intimidating to get into. But I started off with even just doing like three to five minutes and kind of have progressed from there. And even just taking a couple of moments to like focus on our breath and bring ourselves back to the present can make the biggest difference. I love that. And it's, yeah, to me, the meditation practice is really just about like getting grounded because, you know, you mentioned it before, we can let our stress and our anxiety kind of take over and, you know, it's not too great for us. And I'm the same way where it's like, sometimes I'm just so in my head my anxiety, my stress is through the roof and meditating or journaling, you know, they're just both so grounding and kind of get you back in the present moment. And, you know, on the topic of grounding, actually, it just made me remember you did a post just the other day, I think about like earthing. And so oh, I'd love if yeah. you could share that too, because I think especially in this climate and even when it comes to regulating your emotions, that can be a huge help for people too, especially if they're nature lovers like us. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yeah. Honestly, I think that just like going outside is one of the most powerful things that we can do to shift out of a negative mindset or just get ourselves feeling better every day. Um, and I think that if you've ever like stood barefoot on the grass before, just sat in the park, then you've probably experienced for yourself the energetic, um, the energy that the earth radiates. And so earthing is basically where we make contact, physical contact with the earth, and we sort of let those healing um, energies go through our body. And it's honestly, you can feel it within a couple of minutes of doing it. Um, and I, I just like, like to go out to the backyard or go to my park. I know it's a little tricky right now with all of the social distancing going on, but if you do have access to maybe a rural forest or even just your backyard, um, going outside and connecting with the earth is so, so healing and calming and it's amazing for anxiety and just helping you feel overall, um, more relaxed. A hundred percent agree. And, you know, I was telling you before we started recording, I live in Pennsylvania and although that always, you know, doesn't always excite me, it is amazing that we have so much nature around us. And I mean, truly like just growing up as someone who could always go outside and I still do that. It's, I mean, it is true. Anyone who's done it will know what we're talking about. Like that feeling you get of just connection and, you know, grounding. And so I, I think that is like truly phenomenal. And it's, you know, another tool you can use to handle that emotional side of things. And, you know, going back to the other two topics that you are really interested in and that correlate as well to our emotions and how we handle them, I'd want to start with hormones and then we can kind of segue into gut health because I know, you know, there's definitely a connection there. So if you don't mind, let's, let's chat hormones. Let's start from the beginning and just kind of build our way up. So if you wouldn't mind, like what are, let's just go over what the naturally occurring hormones are and us, you know, as a female body and how they kind of, you know, play their part to keep us as a functioning, functioning person. Yeah. So there is actually over 50 different hormones in the human body. So there okay. are so many. and Maybe the major um, ones then. <laughs> yeah. So I think that what, for today's podcast, we'll just focus on the couple of main um, female reproductive hormones. Um, and these are the hormones that can easily become out of balance depending on our diet and lifestyle. Um, and so that is estrogen and progesterone. Um, and then also testosterone. Some women might not realize, but we actually all need testosterone as, um, as well. It's not just a male hormone. And so with estrogen and progesterone, um, we, they're both good hormones, but the problem comes when they become out of balance um, in ratio to one another. So when we're looking at estrogen, that is the hormone that should naturally be dominant in the first half of our cycle. Um, and it's really important because it encourages ovulation um, and it also helps to, um, for us to develop the egg for our eggs. Um, and then with progesterone, that's the hormone that we need dominant in the second half of our cycle. And enough progesterone is going to help encourage an actual bleed during our menstrual cycle. Okay. And then does the testosterone play any part in that cycle or is it just separate? Yeah. So with testosterone, we have it in a lot smaller quantity than a male would have it, but it's actually really important for our feelings of motivation and for helping us feel energized and ready to go during the day. Um, and then it also is really important for our, our libido as well. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so then you did mention that they're the ones that oftentimes go out of mm -hmm. balance. Um, and I personally, you know, I know mine are all screwy, uh, working on that, but can you just explain, you know, like what can happen when they do go out of balance? You know, maybe what are some signs, symptoms we'd see ways it's affecting the body? Yeah. So um, the most common hormonal imbalance picture in today's society is where estrogen becomes dominant in ratio to progesterone. So this is often known as estrogen dominance. Um, and the reason that it is so common in today's society is because there is a lot of what we call xenoestrogens. Um, that are found in plastics and in conventional household beauty products, cleaning products. They're really found everywhere. Um, and so when we have too much estrogen in our body, it um, kind of takes over the effects that would progesterone would be having. 
Um, and then also another big factor is our stress. So the same building blocks that build our stress hormone cortisol are also needed to produce progesterone. And cortisol always, always, always takes priority. So if we're going through any sort of physical or emotional stress, um, our body is going to produce the production, produce cortisol over progesterone. That makes sense. Okay. So, okay. That's it's starting to make sense now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's so hard because we live in a society that, I mean, who's not stressed out, you know, whether it's um, emotional stress from the go, go, go mentality or physical stress from food or over exercising or whatever that might be. It's so easy for, um, for ourselves to be stressed out. And so when those are imbalanced, how do they affect like the menstrual cycle in that sense? You know, like in, in, if there's any, you know, like I know everyone's unique, but if there's like a general way that it really affects that, what would you say it is? Yeah. So typically if you do have estrogen dominance or a higher level of estrogen to progesterone, that's where you're going to see um, a lot of the PMS symptoms. So there might be water retention and bloating. Um, Maybe there's acne, maybe there's mood swings and especially um, really like bad symptoms a couple of weeks leading up to your period. Um, Another thing that can happen is um, where all of our hormones are low. And this is something that I personally dealt with. Um, And when this happens, that's where you might have regular periods or no period at all. And if you don't have a period for three months or more, then that's where you go through amenorrhea. Okay. Okay. On a general term, how does that affect the body then? Like you say you get in that amenorrhea stage and you're there for a while, like I've been, and I know a lot of people who have been, you know, especially if you come from any passive disordered eating or, you know, high stress, trauma, anything like that, you know, like what does that do to the body when you don't have it for those couple months? And then it turns into maybe a little bit longer and longer and builds up. Yeah. So, I mean, hormones, they all play so many different roles in our body, like estrogen, for example, it's really important to keep our bones strong. And so um, as you see in postmenopausal women, they often begin to lose bone density, and that's because of their declining levels of estrogen. So if someone hasn't had a period in quite a while, then it is um, really important to think about that because there may be some bone mineral loss happening. Um, as well as on an emotional level. I mean, for example, progesterone is kind of the anti-anxiety hormone. So it makes us feel calm and relaxed and happy. And so if we have low progesterone levels, then we're going to most likely experience um, more emotional mood swings and heightened anxiety, um, insomnia, trouble sleeping. Um, So it's really like if your hormones are low or out of balance, it affects all aspects of your, of your life, both emotionally and physically. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it is crazy. Like even doing bits of research here and there, talking to a doctor, whatever it be, when you start to uncover like how important, you know, this part of our body is, this part of our systems are, you know, it can get overwhelming and scary, but that doesn't have to be the case. (laughs) It is manageable. It is something we can fix. And you know, before we get on to some ideas for helping that and working through it, as you're so insightful on it, I did want to chat a bit about, you know, why birth control is not always the answer. You know, let's kind of debunk the magic of it because in the past two weeks alone, I've had like three close friends come to me, you know, they're, they're like, oh, I'm using it for my acne. I'm using it for this, that. And I just, you know, it, it's, there's so much that people don't know about it. So I'd love to just hear, you know, like your insight, your input on it and just chat that a bit. Yeah. So exactly what you were just saying. So often women go on hormonal birth control and it's not even um, for trying to control not getting pregnant, but it's often prescribed for other issues. So acne or irregular periods. Um, And the issue with that is birth control is basically just putting a band-aid over the underlying problem that's happening. So if you're being prescribed birth control, say for hormonal acne or really heavy periods, you're basically just using a quick fix, but it's not solving the root issue that's going on. 
Um, and oftentimes when you finally do end up going off the pill, say when you do want to have a family and get pregnant, um, all of those imbalances that were previously happening before you went on birth control, they're still going to be there and likely they're going to just be worse than before. And so I guess birth control, I mean, it's tricky because I'm not going to say that no one should be on the pill. I think that there is potentially a time and place. Um, and I know that for some women, it, it can be like a strong option if they don't want to get pregnant. And I, I do see like it has played a really empowering role in society for women. But I think one of the biggest issues is we aren't educated by doctors um, and they just give out the birth control like candy basically and nobody tells us the repercussions that it might have on our body especially if we're using it long term and so most commonly and this is sort of my story as well because i was on birth control for about three years and when i came off i didn't have a period for over a year and Later on, I learned that basically um, birth control is putting synthetic hormones into your body. And so that's basically telling your body, oh, I don't need to be producing my own progesterone anymore because I'm having this synthetic hormone come in. And so it's very common for women when they go off the pill to not have a period for a bit because your body is basically just shut down its own natural um, reproductive abilities. And then there are so many other issues with the birth control pill as well. So, I mean, it is basically a drug that you're putting into your body. So that can overburden our liver um, and cause hormonal buildup because it's not going to be able to help the liver flush out um, the excess hormones properly. It can also interfere with our healthy gut bacteria and cause dysbiosis. And that leads to a whole other host of gut problems that we'll probably get to talking about. Um, and then another big issue with birth control is that it really depletes us of key nutrients that are needed for hormonal balance in the first place. So namely B vitamins and zinc and magnesium. Um, these all become easily depleted when we're on the pill. Okay. That makes a lot of sense too, because uh, whenever I see, you know, people, you know, educated uh, doctors, nutritionists, whatnot, and they, you know, they advise maybe some supplements or things you could help with getting, you know, hormonal back on track. It's like the B vitamins, the magnesium, yeah. zinc. So that, that makes definite sense. And, you know, I'm curious because you went through this yourself, say someone wants to get off of it, you know, they've been on it for a while, a couple of years, what have you that transition is not always easy. I've had, you know, close friends kind of do it and I've seen them move through it. So what were some things you did to support yourself during that time? You know, just, I'm curious to see what your experience with it was. Yeah. So unfortunately when I went off the pill, I did not have the resources or education that I do now. So I basically just decided to stop birth control cold turkey. And I really experienced a lot of problems, um, which I'm honestly still kind of navigating today and sort of trying to correct because I went off the pill and I did not realize that I, there was going to be nutrient depletions and I wasn't thinking about my diet at all. Um, and so if I were to do it again, I would definitely start supplementing with those B vitamins and magnesium and zinc and fish oil. And I would start before I was going to go off the pill, just so I could try to build my levels back up before completely um, going off. And also I would probably be doing seed cycling and then looking at my diet as well and just really making sure I was nourishing my body with a wide variety of foods that are going to help um, encourage hormone balance. Okay. I love that, you know, the idea of kind of starting, starting before, build it up in your body, get the habits, the routines down, because it is something you have to, you know, implement into your lifestyle and then make that change and, mm -hmm. you know, ha probably have grace for yourself too, because I imagine the time after, you know, did you experience mood swings? Were there any emotional things that happened with it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I had terrible mood swings, terrible PMS. 
um, I, I had a lot of increased anxiety. And then I also remember the most uh, big thing that happened for me is I broke out in like acne and I had never, like I was blessed with really nice skin all throughout high school. It was never an issue for me. And so I basically experienced like acne for the first time in my life. And it was really distressing and I had no idea what to do about it. Um, but that was, I mean, I think that that's just kind of your body resetting itself. And I think that it's really important to give ourselves grace when we are going off the pill, if that is what we choose to do, because it is, um, it's a challenging transition to make and our bodies, they're going to freak out a little bit because it is such a big, um, a big change. So we just have to really be patient and try our best and the most important thing is just to not stress over the symptoms that you might be experiencing as well, because that's just going to make everything worse. Are there any resources that you'd recommend, you know, now for someone going through hormonal imbalances or, you know, trying to get off of birth control or any, you know, any sort of hormonal issues that they might need some extra guidance, support, education on? Yes. Yeah. So there's two ladies that I look up to who are both fantastic. Um, so the first one is Dr. Elisa Vidi, and she has written two books. Um, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of Woman Code, which is her first book. And she basically created the whole cycle syncing method. And so that's an incredible way to use food and exercise and lifestyle practices um, to sync around your cycle to really help balance your hormones. Um, and then also just for general hormone balancing resources, I love Dr. Jolene Brayton. She's incredible. She has so many hundreds of free blog posts on her website um, that go through really everything that you could need to know while transitioning off the pill. Perfect. Okay. I knew those two, but I didn't know if you had, I was going to say like, well, I forgot uh, about Dr. Jolene, but mm. uh, yeah, Woman Code is just amazing. And I think actually, it was either you or someone else like inspired, like, I don't know, inspired me to actually buy the book. I'd heard about it and then I was like, I better buy it. And I, I started reading it and I'm still kind of, you know, working through it, but yeah, that's very good place to start. And, you know, you did mention the seed cycling and I wanted to touch on that because I, always correlate you with seed cycling like that's who I want to <laughs> that's what I want to get into um you know like how does it work how can that lifestyle change really help us you know put our hormones back into balance yeah it's pretty crazy because it's honestly been one of the most effective things that I've tried and when I um did that I think it was seed cycling that originally bought, brought my period back after I had that long period of amenorrhea um, from going off of birth control and so basically seed cycling is using the power of seeds to naturally regulate our hormones. So different seeds contain different nutritional properties that can almost mimic specific hormones in our body. And so specifically with seed cycling, for the first half of your cycle, which would be considered the first day of your period until ovulation, you're going to be taking one tablespoon of pumpkin and flax seeds per day. Um, and it's important to grind the seeds because especially if you have any sort of digestive issues, um, if you're eating them whole, they're not going to be as easily absorbed by your body. And what flax and pumpkin seeds do is they contain specific nutrients like zinc and lignans that basically mimic estrogen in your body and they sort of bring the estrogen into balance. So if you have low estrogen, it can help encourage to bring it up. And if you have high estrogen, it can kind of bring it back down into a healthy level. Um, and so then after you reach ovulation, you're going to want to switch to one tablespoon of the um, sunflower and sesame seeds and also have those ground. And those contain um, vitamin E and selenium, which are two really important nutrients for progesterone production. And then also during the second half, I like to add in evening primrose oil with, with the sesame and sunflower um, because basically evening primrose oil can really help to encourage menstruation. And so especially if you're having trouble with your period every month, if you're not getting a bleed or if you're having irregular bleeds, um, I've just noticed evening primrose oil to be really powerful. Oh, that's so amazing. And I'm similar to you where it's like, I, I think a big reason why I haven't started is because I know certain seeds just 
tear at my gut. Uh, you know, they just don't settle well with me. So how do you, you know, like, could you walk us through an example of, you know, like how you would do this? So how you prepare them, how you eat the seeds and kind of implement them into your routine? Yes. So I would recommend trying to buy organic seeds. I'll usually just get mine in bulk. Um, and then I have a little coffee grinder at home, which did not cost very much money. And you can basically just measure out your seeds and grind them in there. Um, I don't recommend grinding them for too long in advance, maybe a couple days at a time at most, but it is better to grind them fresh just because once a seed is ground and processed, it can oxidize after a couple of days and kind of go rancid. So I would say trying to do it um, as fresh as possible. And then there are so many different fun ways that you can incorporate the ground seeds. I mean, it can be as easy as sprinkling them on oatmeal or yogurt in the morning or putting them into smoothies. Or there are some fun seed cycling bliss ball recipes out there. I've sort of been playing around with my own, but you can just add the ground seeds and dates and create nice little balls to eat in the afternoon. Perfect. I love that. And the evening primrose oil. Yes. Is it there? Yeah, what what is that? If you could explain it a bit or how to use it at least. Yeah. So if you have ever seen like a fish oil supplement, evening primrose oil looks very similar to that. Um, and, but it's just, it's not a fish oil. It's made out of, um, I guess the evening primrose plant and you can basically purchase it at your local health food store. Most places would carry that. Um, and I recommend just taking, I believe it's about a thousand. Well, just check the bottle and take the recommended dose that's on the bottle and just take that daily. I would recommend in the morning with breakfast. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. And besides, you know, seed cycling and the evening primrose, are there any other, you know, essential nutrients, foods, you know, food groups we should really be focusing on, you know, around that time or just in general to promote healthy hormone health, healthy, you know, hormone balance? Yeah. So at least for myself personally, I've really um, gone back to just making sure I have enough of each sort of food group in my diet. So a lot of the kind of diets out there, they can be restrictive, um, especially restricting carbohydrate intake. Um, But we actually need like healthy complex carbohydrates um, as part of um, a healthy hormone balancing diet. And then also getting enough clean protein sources because that's going to provide us with um, amino acids, which are also important for building hormones. And then, of course, your healthy fats because that's another building block for hormones. So really, it's not so much about looking at one specific food, but really just having like a a diverse array of foods in your diet. Um, But some of my favorites are like oatmeal and sweet potatoes. Oh, sorry. I just had to adjust. Um, okay. Oatmeal and sweet potatoes for like a good sort of um, lower glycemic carbohydrate source. And then of course, like salmon and clean proteins, clean meats, um, lots of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds for healthy fats, just like focusing on real food um, is so important and not restricting anything. Um, just having like a big diverse array of whole foods, minimally processed. And not to mention, you know, when you're restricting, that's causing so much unwanted, undesired stress on the body and the mind. So yeah, like definitely just kind of being calm, I guess, you know, with your food and everything. And not to mention, Absolutely. you kind of, you know, mentioned it before, but how this all plays together and that does play into gut health as well. So, you know, I am curious, like how does our gut microbiome then correlate to hormone health? Because there is a correlation there, but I'm not quite certain (laughs) what it is. Yeah, the gut microbiome is so complex, but basically when I'm thinking of that, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So First of all, when we have an imbalance of healthy gut bacteria to bad gut bacteria, um, what can happen is the unhealthy bacteria will actually produce extra estrogen. And so that can lead to estrogen dominance. And so that's why it's so important to have like that correct balance of the good to bad um, bacteria. 
And then also when you're looking at gut issues, something that's really common in today's society is something called leaky gut. Um, and that's basically where your intestinal lining has little holes in it. And so things that are not supposed to enter your bloodstream do, such as undigested food particles. Um, and when leaky gut is happening, our body isn't fully able to absorb the correct nutrients from our food properly. And so when you're having malabsorption, malnutrition can occur, and you're not going to be intaking the vitamins and minerals that you need for hormone production in the first place. And then also when you're looking at your digestive system, um, something that's really common if you're experiencing bloating or gas or constipation is often something called underactive stomach. And this is where you don't have enough HCL in your stomach, so hydrochloric acid. And hydrochloric acid is really important for breaking down our food and helping our body to digest certain nutrients. And so again, if you don't have enough HCL, then malabsorption can take place and you're not going to be intaking the nutrients that you need for your hormones. Okay, so how would something like too low of HCL or leaky gut come about or be caused? Is there something we can, you know, look to prevent that from happening? Because, you know, it's, it's too late for me, but for anyone listening, like how could they maybe <laughs> prevent something like that from happening if there is such a way to do so? Yeah. So the two biggest things that come to my mind are stress and chewing our food. So in school, we really do learn about the importance of chewing our food and it's so much easier said than done. I mean, even for me, like I know how important it is to chew, but it's still something that has to be a daily reminder. And it's so easy to eat in front of the TV and or just eat on the go in a rush, just kind of scarf down our food. But our digestion, be our digestion begins in the mouth. And so chewing our food, it's a simple, it's free, and it's an affordable way to really like reset our digestive system. And honestly, it's like a super easy fix for a lot of our problems if we can actually religiously start to do that. Um, and then stress, of course, because when we're stressed, our body enters a state of fight or flight. And this basically brings all of the energy that we would have been putting into digestion um, into our limbs and our heart rate and our blood pressure um, because our body thinks that it's under attack. And so our digestive system essentially shuts down when we're in a state of stress. And so something I like to do is basically a little breathing exercise before I eat to try to calm my body down and bring it into its parasympathetic state. And so, I mean, there's a few different things you can do, but I like to personally just try to take five to 10 really deep breaths, breathing into my belly. Um, and that can really make a big difference is just to turning your digestive system back on. Okay. That definitely makes sense. And I'm right there you know, with you. I even try, so if I'm working out, I try to wait like 20, 30 minutes mm -hmm. afterwards because I def, you know, I think everyone, when we work out, you're probably definitely in that fight or flight mode. And I just found for me personally, it kind of helped cut down on that elevated heart rate, you know, the, you're still like worked up in that pent up mode. So I think that's something that's also like helped me too, is waiting after intense movement or exercise to eat, you know, for a while after. Yeah, that is such a good point. I do the same thing. Um, and also like if you are working, um, and you are like, in the middle of a stressful project at work, it's so important to take a break and carve out that time to eat mindfully um, and really just try to get into a relaxed state and not eat when you're in a stressed out mode. So not eating if you've just been in a fight with someone or not eating while you're commuting to work in the morning. Um, and just that, just that simple act of really trying to relax before you eat can make a really big difference. Oh, I love that. And, you know, when it comes to the HCL, are there any, you know, things, supplements or whatever they are that we can take to help increase that? Or is that something, you know, you have to kind of work with someone on, get specific, you know, supplements? I don't know how 
how you might go about yeah, it. Yeah, so um, it is it is unique for everyone, but I think that something that is fairly safe for anyone to try would be taking apple cider vinegar before your meals, um, because that actually naturally increases your stomach acid production. And so I would just recommend a couple of spoonfuls in a little bit of water. Um, you don't want to drink it straight up because it can burn your esophagus, but at the same time, you also don't want to dilute it in a big glass of water because drinking water with our meals is a really easy way to dilute our stomach acid. So that's another good tip is just to try to drink all of your water, um, like half an hour to an hour before or after you eat. And that can really help to just strengthen the stomach acid that you already do have. Yeah, and I will agree with that for anyone listening, 110%. I, it's so hard when you start to like not have, like we're just, it's built into our like DNA <laughs> to have a, a big drink with our meal, you know, wherever it's, it is. And I mean, you know, sure, don't, if it's an emotional thing, like you have a milkshake with your food at some event, like don't, don't do that restricting part. But generally, like when I just quit drinking my water, my tea, whatever with my meals, I space it out throughout the day. Like one of the best things I've ever done. It was hard at first, but once I got the hang of it, like now it just comes natural. Like it, it wouldn't feel right for me <laughs> to, dr- to drink with my meals now. Like it's just such a kind of easy switch to do that makes a lot of a difference too. Yeah. It's so crazy because it's so ingrained in our society to have that like glass of orange juice with breakfast or milk with dinner and it's so counterproductive <laughs> so yes if you and especially if you struggle with any gut issues mm-hmm, because absolutely like you said you're kind of <laughs> going against yourself but you know besides what we were just discussing are there any other ways to help support our gut so you know probiotics are a big word a lot of people know are there any other things that you'd advise too yeah um it really depends like what your specific issues are but some of the things that I have found most helpful are um, taking bone broth. So drinking a couple of cups of that every day or two. Um, it's filled with things like glutamine and collagen. So that can be really sealing and soothing to um, our gut lining. Also, I'm a big fan of collagen supplements. I know they're kind of all the rage right now, but I, I genuinely do feel like they've made a big difference um, for my gut and also just for growing my nails and my hair kind of just helping my body to absorb more nutrients. Um, And then I also am a big fan of digestive bitters. So I like to do um, a bitter tincture and I take it before meals and it helps to stimulate my um, natural digestive enzymes. Um, I think like if you're looking back in like to our ancestors, there was a lot more bitter foods incorporated in our diet back then. So bitter greens and um, different vegetables. And now we just don't really have that in our modern diet. And so it is important because that's so essential for actually stimulating our digestive juices. Yeah. The first time I really started to learn about that was, I think I got like dandelion greens from the store. Mm. And I was surprised when I cooked them up and they were bitter AF in my entire meal. (laughs) And I almost couldn't eat it. Like I was just so not accustomed to bitter foods in that way. Uh, And then I started to do some research and figured out, you know, about that. But yeah, like for the digestive uh, bitters tonic you make, is that something you buy, you make? Like, is it something that we could do at our home? How could people maybe get started on that if they're interested? Yeah, so you can definitely make your own. I have not gone down that route yet. I just buy mine. Um, There's a couple of different brands on the market that I like, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think for an American brand, but I believe there's a brand called, I'm not sure, but for the Canadian one, it's called St. Francis Herbs, and that's the one I use. Um, And they basically just have a digestive tonic, which is made with a little bit of alcohol and then all of your digestive bitters in there. I think if you were to make it at home, it might be a bit of a process, but it's definitely something you could do. Um, But for another 
like natural at home thing someone could do is starting to add bitter greens to their salads. So start with some arugula or as you said, dandelion greens and either having those fresh or cooking them into something or just eating um, like a handful of them like 10 to 15 minutes before you're, you eat your actual meal. It can really help to stimulate the digestive juices in your mouth. Now, would fennel seeds work in the same way? I know they're usually incorporated in a digestive bitter tonic, okay. but I haven't actually like eaten them straight up. So I don't know. Okay. Cause I, a while ago, I, I don't know. It was, I think I was, so I was listening to something about like Ayurveda and their digestive thing. And they brought up this tea they would make with two other herbs. And then uh, they'd add fennel seeds. And the woman, Sahara Rose was talking about how you could chew on fennel seeds and it kind of acts like a digestive stimulus. So I did it. Not very pleasant tasting, but I like, I swear it worked if I actually do it. Um, but now I just like to add them into my food when I'm, you know, cooking it. And I don't know, I personally think it does kind of help, but it's like everyone try their own. But so that's something else people might be able to try it. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard of that tea. It's been on my list that I've wanted to make for a while. Um, and yeah, that's another thing to note with like, digestive bitter foods they usually don't taste the best at first so that probably means it's working if if it tasted funny and anyone who has suffered from gut issues you know like it's your it gets to a point where you're willing to do anything so (laughs) that is there too um and the last thing I wanted to ask you about with gut health because I know you're an advocate for it and the first time I had someone on to talk about tongue scraping I got like I had my DMs, like multiple people say like they started because of it and they loved it. And so I am so proud to spread the word of tongue scraping. And I'd love to hear, you know, your input on it, how it's, you know, helped you and just kind of, you know, try to promote some more people to get started on it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I absolutely love tongue scraping. Um, And now that I do it every day, I couldn't imagine not doing it anymore. Um, I pretty much started tongue scraping simply because I, I was really like, my tongue would always have this gross coating when I would wake up in the morning. And so I heard about tongue scraping and I started to try it out. And it makes a world of a difference for just like how your mouth tastes after you wake up. And if you think about it, um, your mouth is kind of like your gut in a sense that it has its own sort of bacterial microbiome inside of your mouth. Um, And there's a lot of, I mean, the research is sort of just emerging with the connection between the two, but there's a lot of um, new research showing that your mouth, uh, balance and microbiome balance is just as important as your gut and disease can start in the mouth too. And I mean, if you think about it, like if there's um, an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria in your mouth, then when you're eating, you're going to be swallowing that and it's going to be going and reaching your gut and going all throughout your body. And so tongue scraping is just a super easy way that you can make sure that you're getting any sort of toxic bacteria out of your mouth first thing in the morning. Um, And so what I do is as soon as I wake up and go to the bathroom, I do it before even drinking water or eating anything. Um, And it's just a nice way to kind of start the day and just start the day with a fresh tasting mouth and know that if there was any like gross bacteria in there you've gotten rid of it and once you start doing it you will like you said not ever want to stop I mean I know I've gone traveling and forgot mine and you know I've you can kind of manage it with a spoon if you're you know if you can but I mean it's just insane when you see what comes off of your tongue and I swear like it helps with taste. You can taste better. And, you know, similar to what you were saying, I mean, everything that passes through your mouth, if it's picking up on that, those like toxins and build up, like can't be good for anywhere else in your body. So it's super cheap. I mean, I get mine for like $6. I just replace yeah. it every now and then wash it like super easy, super simple. And it's one of the like best hacks I've ever started. <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's so easy and affordable. And I totally agree. Once you start, you can't ever go back. <laughs> if I forget <laughs> mine, it's the end of the world. I, I definitely tried a spoon before too in emergencies and it, it, it works okay. But I would recommend just buying like the six to $10 tongue scraper and you're good to go. Honestly, because I've, 
I mean, like I said, I was desperate. I tried the spoon and I nearly like gagged myself in this New York City <laughs> hotel room. So just get the tongue scraper, better safe than sorry. Um, I'll, I'll even link one below in the show notes. So everyone can go do that. But yeah, you have just been such a light. You're so educated and inspiring. Like I'm just so pumped up now. I, I have like all this new information in my mind and I'm so excited to start seed cycling and all that fun stuff. So where can people find you and just continue to learn and be inspired and empowered by everything you create and share? Oh, thank you. It was such such a delight to be here and chat with you as well. Um, and everyone can go find me on Instagram over at Holistically Hannah, and that's holistically with a W. Um, and then my blog is holistically-hannah.com. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. It was so lovely to chat with you today. So much great and applicable information in this episode. As I mentioned in the beginning though, please don't feel overwhelmed. You can take baby steps towards hormone health and gut health and still be doing good. And remember what I said, focus on the basic pillars of lifestyle before you go adding in all these extra, extra things that may cost you extra money, time, and energy. If you guys would like to learn more, follow along, or perhaps get in contact with Hannah about something we discussed in today's episode, she's on Instagram at holisticallyhannah underscore, linked below. I'm on Instagram at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. We'd love to connect and see if you guys listened. So share in your stories, tag us, and support the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you guys and talk to you next week. Bye.